Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. As many listeners are aware, Corey and I have been doing this for about three and a half months now. And the future of Cannabis Health Radio rests with you, the listener. If we can get enough listeners making donations, then we can survive. If not, then Corey and I will reluctantly be forced to shut down this podcast. As mentioned several weeks ago, we've made a substantial financial investment in equipment, website, our time, and we've only gotten a sparse return. Corey and I do this because we love bringing these inspirational stories to you. Stories of people who have successfully used cannabis to clear a fatal disease or used it to help them with pain of an ailment they have. With governments around the world slowly legalizing medical marijuana, more and more people are looking at this plant to help them. And if you'd like to help us bring their stories to you, then help us out. You can make a donation by going to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Go there today, make a donation, help us out, help us continue bringing these stories to you. Our guest today is a bit of an expert on cannabis. He used it for his arthritis, prostate cancer, and in dealing with pain from a crushed vertebra in his neck. He is also the author of a book on growing cannabis titled Medical Growing, A Garden of Peace. Joining us from Vancouver, Canada, is Daniel Baujan. Daniel, good of you to do this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Daniel, take us back to the 1990s and tell us how you became so interested in cannabis. My mom passed away around 1998. She had been uh, afflicted by several different types of cannabis, uh, cancer, but my parents had been treating her with herbals. And now I've been using cannabis recreationally since I was 14, and uh, I saw that the herbals really, really helped my mom. And and I'd begun to hear that cannabis could cure cancer, so I began to look into it after my mom passed away. Around 2002, I started a website where I would gather people together to teach and learn about cannabis growing with the idea of writing a book. I want to kind of break this uh, interview down into uh, several segments. I want to talk about uh, your arthritis, your prostate cancer, your crushed vertebra, and then we'll get into your book. Tell us about your your use of cannabis for your arthritis. I I have arthritis in my hands and throughout my body, and I've had since I was about 20. It's in my family. Although I was aware that there were uh, medications out there that were good for arthritis, I never felt the need to use them because I had been using cannabis and without knowing it had helped my symptoms. Anytime I used cannabis, any of the aching in my hands, which is where it usually is, would go away. And most often I wasn't really that badly afflicted by it because of my constant use of cannabis. Mm-hmm. So in a way I, I was treating it without knowing it 
and um, and, and recognized it only in retrospect. Okay. Now you suffered from prostate. Yeah, it Absolutely. does. Absolutely. Yeah, you suffered from prostate okay. cancer as well. Did you mm-hmm. not? Yes, uh, in 20, 2010, I was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, was a reading of seven point zero PSA, which wasn't really that high, but uh, it showed up in my blood test. And the doctor wanted me to get into an oncologist who recommended that I have the radioactive seed uh, implants. Implants, that's right, right, right. And I had done enough reading about nuclear medicine or anything nuclear, because I'm just kind of a science geek anyways, to know that, in my opinion, anything, uh, you know, anything radioactive is toxic to living tissue, period. That's, that's kind of what I know about it, right? Right. It's an, it's an overlying logic that, that I found it inescapable, and so there was no way that I was going to go for it. I had been learning about, about cannabis since, you know, 1998, so by that time I, re- I realized that I could simply take some of the cannabis that I'd grown, make it into oil, and treat myself. And so that's what I did. Was that the first time you made oil, or, or had you been making oil before that? It was the first time I'd made oil myself. But back in the 80s, a, friend of, a musician friend of mine was into making oil. I'm not sure exactly why he liked it so much. I, I suppose he knew more about it at the time than I did. But he used to make huge amounts of oil. And uh, bring it to bring it to practice, and everybody would do, smoke it and would practice and stuff. It's a musician thing, I suppose. <laughs> but that was the first time I'd I'd, um, I'd made it myself. It turned out pretty good. After a fairly short time of uh, treating myself, uh, within a I think I was up to only about a half a gram because you start on start. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. When, it's pretty heavy when you start, as, as anyone will tell you. You get pretty sleepy and pretty stoned and you'd spend a lot of the time a lot of the day just sleeping right so, it's very uh, very concentrated it, it, it's very heavy yeah mm. so i was only up to about half a gram and about um, i think i was a month into it and my psa was already starting to starting to drop and so i got another psa and it showed 3.9 so almost half or over half over and, half, uh, yeah, yeah, seven, seven to three point nine. That's less than yeah. half. Stop bugging me. <laughs> I don't do math well. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. well, that's okay. we'll cut that part out. Right? Yeah. So you went from uh, PSA so, of seven point zero to three point nine, which yes. is less which, than half. Which but, is less than half, Ian. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, that's pretty darn decent, though. Yeah, that that was in yeah. that was in a month. Yeah, within yeah within a month. Wow! And so I decided to finish off the treatment, and I did the whole sixty grams, and it was quite an experience. And uh, the doctor has taken my blood since, and he's never he's never taken any any notice of my PSA level, and never mentioned it again. So I assume everything's okie dokie now. Did he know you were doing cannabis, Daniel? Yes, I yes I told him. And what was his response? Uh, he didn't like it very much. Mm. And he was worried, and the oncologist uh, kind of freaked out on me and started shrieking that, but you're going to die. This could kill you. You know, it's like very high-stress situation. She was using hyperbole to try, to try to convince me that I had to have this treatment. And I would, 
I mean, I just wasn't going to have any of it. Yeah, we've heard that before, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we've heard that. We it hear really, that a lot. It really put the pressure on, and it and it really made me angry because the only way I, I managed to get out with it was by asking her whether I had a right to to do with my body as I pleased. She had to admit that that, that was the case. Yes, yeah. And so she said, "Well, okay, we'll, we'll do the watchful uh, watchful waiting." That's what she called it, uh-huh. watchful waiting. So when they're doing this watchful waiting and they see that in a month your PSA is almost in half, <laughs> um, what's their response, Daniel? What did they say? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Okay, let's Absolutely ignore the nothing. elephant in the room there. That's right. Yeah. So you I've, said, and I've never, I've never heard, heard, heard back from the Canadian Cancer Society once, not one time. Well, I don't get a Christmas card from them either. No. <laughs> um, no. You said that you did the full 60 grams. How long did it take you to do that 60 grams? About two months. Two months. That's pretty good. Yeah. Daniel, did it help you with anything else that you noticed? It's difficult to say because I was asleep most of the time. But <laughs> well, it helps you with your sleep. It definitely helped. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really got a good sleep schedule now. I can yeah. I can, you know, I'm very regular. I can get up in the morning, and and uh, even though I'm not I'm not back to work yet, but uh, but I can get up in the morning and maintain a regular schedule. Daniel, sorry to interrupt. That, um, that became a good habit. When you were doing the oil for your cancer, were you doing it all orally, or did you do suppositories as well? I was taking it orally. I would uh, put it in a in a gel cap. And swallow it. Swallow it down. Three times a day? Uh, I think I was doing it two times a day because mm-hmm. I'd take it after after the morning so I could get things done in the morning. Oh, I see. And then uh, I'd take about, uh, oh, that's right, I was taking uh, 0.4 in the morning and 0.6 in, in the evening before bed. And was it all one strain? Yeah, yeah, it was all one strain. Daniel, was it difficult for you to get the product in order to make cannabis oil? No, because I'd been growing myself for years, so I had a I had a fairly good collection of of shake, and I had uh, had some buds that I that I'd recently grown, and so I I used what I had on hand. Do you, Do you remember or know what the, <clears throat> what the strain was that you used? It was a hybrid. It would have been um, lemon lemon pledge and OG and. It worked, whatever. Whatever it was, it, was, it worked. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a, it, it was a combination of a few things, I think, right. a few different strains that I've been trying and you know experimenting with, finding out what I like to smoke and what I what worked for me and what I couldn't smoke. And I, I found that, that there was some sativa varieties that were too strong for me, and I couldn't, I, I just couldn't smoke them. They were just too outrageous. I like that term. Too outrageous. <laughs> Daniel, did you? Um, Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Besides doing oil, did you do anything else? Did you do you know like supplements at all, or or juice, or dietary changes, or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I, I dropped my portion of meat to a smaller level, and I, I upped the green up my green vegetables. Make sure I got lots of broccoli. And anything with magnesium in it, and uh, lots of green vegetables, salads, right? But less uh, less potatoes and and starches, 
and less pro- less proteins and more and more green salads and green vegetables. Interesting. We hear that from a sorry, Daniel. We hear that from a number of people, uh, don't we, Corey, who yes. have uh, cancer, and all of a sudden, uh, eating healthily just seems to click in mm-hmm. because uh, it does. I, I think that using the cannabis makes you realize that, um, and I've, I've heard this. I can't recall who said it. But for every illness, there's a, a plant and medicine uh, in nature for as a cure, right? Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay. I very strongly believe that because I've seen it happen. We can let food be our medicine, then we won't need those poison medicines to cause complications and problems. My interest in cannabis has has brought about a greater interest in other herbs and and in nutrition in general. Mm -hmm. Daniel, with your prostate cancer and uh, your... I guess you're clearing of your prostate cancer. Do you talk to any other guys about uh, who have prostate cancer and about the use of cannabis oil? I have. I have. Um, I still uh, get uh, people com- contacting me to get information on cannabis and uh, through historically through my website, through my on- uh, online contacts on Facebook and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I get quite a bit of inquiries and I'm always you know that's definitely one of the things that I do recommend any type of cancer that you can have there's a there's got to be a strain uh, that's that's appropriate to that I think prostate cancer being kind of a low level weakling type cancer that it doesn't take very much to knock it out mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to a brain cancer or or a breast cancer or you know yeah, prostate cancer is a very slow-growing cancer. They say that most men, right. if they live over the age of 80, will have some form of prostate cancer. Uh, right. But they won't die of the prostate cancer. They'll die just, of something else. It, it's almost in, just an in, in endemic to living. Yeah, that's right. One of those things. We're all going to get it, probably. Daniel, tell us the story about how you ended up with a crushed vertebra in your neck. It sounds painful as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it was very painful. I have osteoarthritis in most of my bones in my spine, my neck, and uh, it was the result of cumulative wear and tear on my spine. So it was something that was ha- happening gradually over time because the the osteoarthritis softens the bone. Now I probably contributed to it somewhat by uh, hanging my head over a computer for too long, which doesn't help. Posture is something that I know that I, you know, helped cause it. Simple, simple poor posture. But I've always had a problem with my my back and my neck. I have a long back, and so my my head always felt a little heavy. So it's something that happened gradually over time and and didn't become a problem until about 2010, when I started noticing my arms going to sleep and. Uh, I was too stubborn to go to the doctor <laughs> until just last year when it became too painful to ignore. And as a result of your head leaning forward, it crushed the vertebra in your neck. Do I have that right? That's right. Do you know, you raise a very interesting point because uh, my chiropractor was telling me that that is going to be an issue in the future for a lot of people who uh, use their uh, smartphones. You see yeah. them walking along or in sitting sitting down That's anywhere, yeah, and yes. their head is forward, 
and it puts yeah. it puts the strain on the vertebra in your neck, which is exactly what you're talking about, right? That's exactly right, and I think it's in exactly the same spot, C6 and C7. Yeah, and I think you mentioned something about it crushing your spinal cord? That's right. The crushed vertebrate uh, created a, a spot in my spinal cord that looked like a, a squished bicycle tire. Wow, and that, that in turn caused um, peripheral pain into your arms and legs and hands that's as well? Right. Wow. Yeah, that's right. So I got some spinal cord damage from the from the car. Does does the cannabis oil help with the with the pain? It does, it does. But uh, but at this point, um, I'm uh, two months into recovery, and uh, my pain's actually getting a little better. And so, just a little bit of smoke once in a while, a couple of three times a day, help is enough to help. Are you doing any oil? Uh, not at the moment. No. No, just the smoking. Yep. I, I take it once in a while as, as a supplement. Now, you told us you were facing quadriplegia if you didn't get an operation. That's right. Wow. That's what scared the hell out of me. <laughs> well, it would get my attention, that's for sure. No, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So where are you now with that? I'm recovering after the operation, and uh, things are pretty good. Good. I feel, I'm starting to, starting to feel uh, some joy in my in movement again and more greater confidence because I'm not dropping things and being able to do things again with my arms and hands. So I was just, just been starting to notice it definitely getting better. Now you said you smoke uh, a bit and you take oil a little bit. Have you thought of taking the oil again every day? For what purpose? Well, for your, uh, your crushed vertebra in your neck. And uh, you you said you had the operation. Just wondering if that would help with your recovery. Now I have a titanium uh, a titanium part in my neck, so so the the vertebrae is, has been repaired, and uh, and I've got a, a brace in there as well. So the doctor says that's the strongest part of my neck now. So that that isn't an issue, and so there's not a lot of pain coming from that. So you got the bi- bionic neck. I think I think taking oil would be overkill right now. Okay. When I, when I don't I don't think I need to. No, it's fair, fair when enough. I, when yeah. I, when a couple of puffs uh, is enough to to manage my pain and take and let me let me do what I need to do, I think that's, that's sufficient. Daniel, you wrote a book a few years ago called Medical Growing: A Garden of Peace. Tell us about that. When I was uh, learning how to grow, I noticed that books by uh, popular authors were quite complicated, contained a lot of information, which um, someone who is simply a layman learning how to to grow might not be able to use until such a time as, you know, if they really got into it later on, they might want to find that information, but you wouldn't need it just to learn how to grow. So... The concept of my book was to to make the process a linear one and make it as easy to get from A to Z and as efficient a way as possible. So I started with an explanation of what sort of went on. Then I got into, um, I took it from seed to seed to flower, and I put it in a linear fashion so that it reads like an instruction manual. Oh, that's um, neat. 
anyone who wants so that anyone wants to who wants to get started to start the start at the beginning plant the seeds and follow right along so you've simplified the whole thing yes because there's a lot of people you know particularly the people that I speak with are many of them are older and um, find the idea of trying to grow uh, rather daunting yes when it doesn't have yes. to be it doesn't have to be that's that's right and that and that's the whole message of, of the book is that it's not hard to do. It isn't difficult. Um, if you've ever grown tomatoes, then it's possible for you to do this. You can do it inside. You can do it outside, in a greenhouse, in the yard. The plant is so powerful that it grows itself, essentially. You don't really need to fuss with it as much as people often do. Yeah, I've tried to grow tomatoes. Man, I have not had much success. No way. <laughs> Maybe I'll try. Uh, I'll try growing uh, some cannabis plants to see uh, if I have better success. I think they might be easier to grow than tomatoes, actually, because you know you have to harvest the tomatoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, Daniel, since you first started uh, looking into cannabis over the last twenty years, there has been an enormous change in public attitude. Is public attitude ahead of politic, uh, public sentiment ahead of uh, the political sentiment in both Canada and the United States, and I guess elsewhere around the world? I would have to say that the public is ahead of the, ahead of the administration on this one, in just about any, any case in any country, mm-hmm. uh, unless it's Portugal or Spain, yeah, uh, where they've had great success and, and where opioid overdoses is a manageable thing because they use education and care and love instead of uh, instead of pun- uh, what we call a punitive punitive action. Yeah, in Portugal, yeah. there's been over over a decade of uh, they just legalized uh, all drug use and their drug deaths as a result have decreased and That's right. they they don't treat it as a crime. They treat it as a public health issue. Which is yes. something that I think other countries should have been looking at and should be looking at in a very serious way, because I don't think anyone really wants to be a heroin addict or wants to uh, be a, a crack cocaine addict. It is a public health no, issue. They certainly don't. Yeah, and it could be. They don't. Yeah, you know, it could be a, you know a mental health issue which they're experiencing, yeah. and and the reason they take drugs. And the reason people drink a lot and the reason people go shopping a lot is because there is an issue within them that is alleviated somewhat by doing that particular drug, alcohol, or whatever it is that they have. Absolutely. It's a textbook psychology where where one is in pain, one wants to be out of pain. Yeah. And, and, uh, And often... Substance abuse is, is an escape. Absolutely. Daniel, is there anything you want to say in conclusion to folks around the world who may be listening about uh, maybe about prostate cancer or your arthritis or pain generally? Well, well I think uh, I just wanted to get back to the, to, the, to the fentanyl and the Portugal thing where governments can make a big difference by legalizing cannabis 
to alleviate this, uh, the opioid crisis. And I find it um, a little uh, frustrating that the government is uh, trying to spend money to to uh, solve the fentanyl crisis when the uh, solution is right in front of them, that uh, to legalize cannabis can help drop that opioid overdose level by as much as 25% across Canada, that's a lot of people, and that's a lot of lives being saved. And it can't be called anything but harm reduction. If they're looking for harm reduction, I think cannabis is definitely the answer. No, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. Daniel, good of you to do this. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you very much for calling. Now, here's a question for listeners. Do you have a story about the medical use of cannabis? There are thousands and thousands of people around the world, probably millions of people, who use cannabis for medical purposes. Those are the people we want to hear from. There are podcasts that talk about the recreational use of cannabis, and that's fine. We have no disagreement with that. There are podcasts that talk about the business side of cannabis. We have no disagreement with that. But we don't talk about those two issues because there are just so many podcasts and so much information about that. There is a desire, we find anyway, that people want to know more about the medical use of cannabis And we want to hear your stories. So if you have a story to tell, send us some information at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Tell us about your use of cannabis for medical purposes and give us a bit of background. And we'll contact you and we'll set up an interview so you can tell your story. The email address is info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. That's it for another program. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.